utter hidden things from of old, things we have known and heard, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He's done. He decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, thank You that uh, we can call You Father. And uh, Lord, whether our uh, earthly Father is living or not, we're reminded today that we have a Heavenly Father that cares for us, that loves us even beyond the love of our earthly Father. And so we thank You for that today. And Lord, we pray that uh, You would uh, open up our hearts and minds to Your Word today. As we think about fathers, as we think about the significance of a father's life, and may it encourage us, we pray. And so we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. I'm going to give um, a rather personal message today um, on Father's Day, uh, because as we all know, most of you have experienced this, many of you have experienced this, that the loss of a parent, the loss of a father is a significant um, impact in our life. It's a significant um, mile marker in one sense that, uh, that has great significance and great ramifications. And so um, as I think about Father's Day today, uh, this is the first Father's Day in my 65 years that my father is not around. And I'm so blessed that uh, for 64 years, God allowed me to, uh, to have my dad around, and uh, uh, what a blessing that is. And uh, so this is a difficult day for some people. Um, I've got a couple friends, one in Ohio, one in Michigan, and uh, uh, they both lost their fathers suddenly, unexpectedly. And I'll tell you, because uh, I've had contact with them, they're, they're struggling today loss of a sudden loss of a, of a dad. Loss of my dad was a little more um, anticipatory because he'd been sick for a long time and he was 91 years old, but it's still a, a significant marker. If you would indulge me just for a moment, and I had the privilege of, of presiding at his funeral last September, and I was at Calvary Church in Grand Rapids, and uh, just as a little tribute to my dad, I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read part of his obituary just to give you a little flavor of my dad's life, which uh, was an incredible life of impacting thousands of people for, for the kingdom. And so I'll uh, read this quickly here. Reverend Roy James Clark, 91, entered the gates of heaven on Sunday, August 30th, 2020 at Rest Haven Home in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He was born on July 3rd, 1929 in Buffalo, New York. After graduating from Bennett High School in Buffalo, New York, he attended Bryan College in Dayton, Tennessee. Following his lifelong call to ministry, he entered Grace Seminary in Winona Lake, Indiana, and graduated in 1955. Uh, he married his college sweetheart, Virginia Maxine Likens, on June 20th, 1952 in Altoona, Pennsylvania. They were married for 27 years until Maxine passed away at the age of 50 in 1979. 
My dad later um, remarried, and I won't, I won't go into all that, and had this blended family. But here's a little bit about my dad's life. A faithful servant of God, Pastor Clark served in ministry for over 60 years. He pastored churches in Rusheville, Indiana, Cleveland, Ohio, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Kalamazoo, Michigan. In 1993, he began a much-needed ministry of interim pastorates, which took him to Waterville, Michigan, North Royalton, Ohio, Temperance, Michigan, Granville, Michigan, El Ain United Arab Emirates, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Holland, Michigan. From 2013 to 2016, Pastor Clark worked with radio Bible class ministries and church ministry, followed by a marketplace chaplaincy with RBC Ministries. He completed a lifelong uh, uh, long life of ministry by serving with the Timothy Network of Team Mission or Missionary Organization, which involved going overseas and encouraging missionaries. Probably made a, at least a dozen to 15 trips doing that, traveled to 40 countries uh, encouraging missionaries. Pastor Clark was humbly privileged to also serve on the boards of the Cleveland Hebrew Mission for 35 years, Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids for 40 years. He was the founding pastor of two Christian schools, Baptist Christian School in Cleveland, Ohio, and Emmanuel Christian in Fort Wayne, Indiana. The life of this dedicated servant of God can be characterized by Galatians 5, 22 and 23, which lists the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. His priorities in life were his deep and passionate love for God and the gospel. His family, books, lots of books. <laughs> Serving people and following the Cleveland Indians and the Detroit Tigers. A true legacy left behind are the efforts of his genealogical study of the Clark family and is, that required countless hours of research, writing, and travel. Well, that's a little bit about my uh, dad and the legacy that he left. And so uh, I'll say this this morning. If you're, if you're here this morning and you have your, your dad um, around, uh, as the old AT&T commercial said, reach out and touch him today. Uh, somehow get in contact, and, uh, and that will be a, a blessing for, uh, for both of you. Well, as I thought about the message this morning, I wanted to share uh, reflections on the death of a father because at some point in time, in the natural progression of time, all of us will face this, and I'm looking out, many of you already have, but in the natural progression of time, all of us will probably face the death of a dad. And I thought I'd just share five reflections or lessons that I've, I've learned, and uh, so let me, let me share them with you this morning, and here's, uh, here's the first one. Uh, the death of a father, or we could say parent, but the death of a father reminds us of our own mortality. It reminds us of our own mortality. We're reminded of that when we read the scriptures, aren't we? Some, some of the Old Testament is just genealogical, and you read these names, and it says, and he died, and he died, and he died. And when a parent dies, it, it, it reminds us of our own mortality. We feel in one sense that the, the mantle's been passed and we're living in the generation that is, is the next one. For Diane and I, our um, four parents are all gone. My mom died at 50. Uh, Diane's dad died at 64. Diane's mom, I think, was 93. My dad was 91. 
have a stepmom that's in assisted living home in Grand Rapids at, at 81. But all four of our natural parents are gone, and it reminds us of our own mortality. The Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die, and then there's a judgment that comes. And so um, we're reminded of that. Psalm 90 is a great psalm. It's the oldest psalm written by Moses in the midst of the wilderness wanderings. And this is what Moses writes when he's experiencing um, life in the desert and a whole generation of Israelites that are passing away. He writes in Psalm 90, verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. Then he writes later on, all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. James reminds us of that in James chapter 4. And he says, what is our life? Our life is but a, a vapor, a, a, a exhale of breath on a cold day, and it's there for a moment, and then it's gone. And so the death of a, of a father, the death of a parent, reminds us of our own mortality. There's a quote that I give at almost every funeral that I've had the privilege of presiding over. It's from a tombstone in a cemetery in Indiana. You've probably heard me say it many times, but on that tombstone, we read these words, pause, stranger, as you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. One person that was walking through that cemetery read that and left a little note card on that headstone, and it, they wrote, To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> that's, and that's good, good advice, isn't it? isn't it? But the fact of the matter is, it's saying, that, hey, we, we're all going to die someday. And the death of a father reminds us of our own mortality. Secondly, uh, the death of a father reminds us of the importance of our heavenly father. I mentioned this in our prayer this morning, that, that for those of us that don't have an earthly dad, we have this wonderful privilege of what? Having a heavenly father. And when our dad's not there, it, it seems even more uh, significant to us. We have a heavenly father. The disciples asked uh, Jesus uh, one, one question, and they said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus said, yeah, I, I will do that. And then he gave them the Lord's Prayer. Our, and what did he say? Our Father who art in heaven. And so for those of us that know Christ, we have this wonderful relationship with a heavenly Father. Psalm 10, verse 14, the psalmist writes, you are a helper of the fatherless. Psalm 68, 5, God is a father to the fatherless. And when Jesus was giving his final instructions before he left to heaven, he's like, I don't want to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send you the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He will be with you. He will dwell in you. He will never leave you or forsake you. 
we've got this wonderful relationship with God as our Father. So how does our Father help us? Well, three things. There's more than that, but here's, here's three things that God the Father can do for us. First of all, His presence. We have someone who, while our earthly fathers will leave us, God the Father says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be there. Hebrews 13.5. He helps us in our prayers. Uh, that's Romans, Romans chapter uh, 8. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes about that. Um, talks about the fact that we're the children of God. And um, we've been adopted, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. We can call out to him and call him what? Our, our, our daddy, our, our Abba. And then later on in the chapter, it says the Spirit of God helps us when we're praying. And when we're so um, to the point where we can't even express ourselves, the Holy Spirit, through uh, God's gift of the Holy Spirit, intercedes for us in our prayers. So he helps us with his presence. He helps us with our prayers. God the Father helps us with our problems. And so for probably, I'd say, 61 or 62 years, when I've had a major problem in my life, kind of got to a place where I was stumped or wanted some advice, guess who I called? I called my dad. Older, wiser, lots of ministry experience. Well, now, now dad's not there, but God's still there. And he invites us to go to him with our problems. James 5.13, is anybody in trouble? Let him pray. Let him call out to God. He's always there. He's our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in a time of trouble. A number of years ago, a fellow that was speaking at Maranatha Bible Missionary Conference, and he was a second-generation missionary to India. He, he was a, a native Indian. He was born in India. Guess what his name was? Benny Matthews. <laughs> Benny Matthews from India. Yeah, his name was Benny, Benny Matthews. And so Benny's, Benny's speaking, and, and uh, he's, he's, he's preaching, and he's talking about, like, well, life in America, when you have a problem... You just call 911 and you get a response. He says, We don't have 911 in India. What we have is Psalm 911. Like, oh, Psalm 911. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, He is my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. We don't have a 911 system, but we can call out to God. In times of trouble. And so the death of a father reminds us um, that we have a heavenly father that cares for us, will never leave us, never forsake us, helps us in our prayers, helps us with our problems. I came across this quote, and I think it's, I just thought it was good and very um, accurate. I don't know who made the quote, but it says, when our children are young, we talk to them about God. When our children are grown, we talk to God about our children. Isn't that how it goes? When they're young, we talk to them about God. 
get older, we do a lot of praying. Uh, so, reflection number three. Here's the third one. The <clears throat> death of a father reminds us of the multi-generational impact our lives can have. The death of a father reminds us of the multi-generational impact the life of a father can have. It can impact generations for good or for bad. But it will impact generations to come. Psalm 78, we read it in our scripture reading this morning. Uh, Psalm 78 talks about that multi-generational impact. We want to talk about God's wondrous works. We want to talk to our kids about Scripture. Why? So they can tell their children. So they can tell their children. So they can tell the children not even yet to be born. And, and the life of a father can have a multi-generational impact. That's like that pebble thrown in a pond and you see the concentric circles coming out. It'll impact generation after generation after generation. Paul's last letter to his son in the faith, uh, Timothy, reflects that. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 5, learning a little bit about Timothy's life, and the apostle Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and then in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Three generations. We don't know much about Timothy's father other than he was, he was a Greek, but that's all we know about him. But Paul says, um, Timothy's spiritual roots were from his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And later on in 2 Timothy, we learn a little bit about that from verse 14 of chapter 3, where Paul writes, Continue in what you've learned and become convinced of, because of you know those from whom you learned it, your mom and your grandma, and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Greek word there is brephos. It means from a young baby, from a young child, you've known the scriptures. And sometimes parents ask, well, how soon should we begin teaching truth and God's truth to our kids from when they're a baby? You can read scripture to them. You can pray over them. You can sing lullabies to them. Um, yeah, Timothy had a multi-generational impact that came from his grandmother and his mother. I pulled out um, a tribute. My, my folks had, I think, 17 or 18 grandchildren. And uh, my one nephew, uh, Jordan, lives in Ohio, uh, was not able to come to the, uh, my dad's funeral. But he wanted to, he wanted to write a tribute to his, his grandfather. And so I, I pulled that out. And here, here's what he wrote. And it will uh, show the multi-generational impact of a life. Jordan wrote this over the past few weeks as it looked like Grandpa's time on earth might be coming to an end. I kept thinking of 3 John 4. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in truth. 
What peace, comfort, and joy he must have felt knowing his family walks daily in relationship with Jesus largely because of his steadfast example and influence. Grandpa baptized me, spoke at my wedding. My children have accepted Jesus because of the foundation he laid for me through my own parents. And so Jordan writes about that multi-generational impact. There was a study done long, uh, about a couple people that lived a long time ago. And uh, one is the great um, Puritan preacher, Jonathan Edwards, lived in the 1700s. And then they studied the legacy, not only of Jonathan Edwards, but of a fellow by the name of Max Jukes. They were contemporaries. Both lived during the same period of time in the 1700s. So here's, uh, here's Jonathan Edwards' um, heritage and legacy that they studied. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, preacher and uh, president of Princeton University a long time ago, not today's Princeton. Well, it's the same college, but uh, shifted theologically significantly. In 1727, Edwards married his wife, Sarah. They had 11 children. Every night when Edwards was home, he would spend an hour conversing with his family and then praying a blessing over each child. In tracing the descendants of Jonathan Edwards 150 years after his death, we discover one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 100 lawyers, we won't hold that against them, and 100 clergy. Matt Jukes' legacy came to people's attention when the family tree of 42 different men in the New York State prison were traced back to Max Jukes. Max Jukes' descendants included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 310 paupers, 440 individuals who were physically wrecked by their addiction to alcohol. Of the 1,200 descendants studied, 30 of them died prematurely. Just an example of uh, the multi-generational impact that a life can have. Well, number four, fourth reflection is, uh, is this. The death of a father reminds us to examine or, or maybe re-examine our own priorities. The death of a father reminds us to examine or re-examine our own priorities in life. Psalm 90 we read earlier talks about how fleeting life is, and verse 12 is really the application verse of Psalm 90. The psalmist writes, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Someone paraphrased that verse to say, teach us to count our days so we can make our days count because <laughs> they're, they're limited. And so the death of a, the death of a father um, will remind us and force us to think about what really matters in life and where are we putting our time and talent and treasure Matthew chapter 6, the words of Jesus in uh, 
a Sermon on the Mount, those familiar verses in uh, uh, verses 19 through 21, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So Jesus says, don't invest primarily just in this world because it's all going to go to somebody else. And yeah, I've made several trips to the, the junkyard over the years and this big ticket item that I was all excited to get and paid for on uh, you know, 48 easy payments and like, there it goes <laughs> into the landfill. Uh, so Jesus, hey, examine your priorities. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, don't lose heart. Outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. That's what we're doing here this morning. Hopefully some spiritual renewal in our life. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. And so the reminder is to, uh, to focus on the eternal. Uh, Dr. Erwin Lutzer in his uh, book, One Minute After You Die, relates the story of uh, golfer Paul Azinger. Paul Azinger was a professional golfer, um, uh, was one of the, the top PGA golfers, and then uh, at a young age, Paul Azinger uh, came down with a cancer diagnosis, and Paul ended up passing away. And let me share his story because it speaks to the, the point that we're thinking about this morning. It says, Paul Azinger was at the height of his professional golf career when the doctor told him that he had a life-threatening cancer. Up to that moment, he had not given much thought to dying Life was too all-consuming for him to stop and consider the reality of the grave and all that is beyond. But that encounter with the inevitability of eternity was an abrupt reality check. His life would never again be the same. Even the $1.46 million he had made as a professional golfer that year paled to insignificance. All he could think about was what the chaplain of the tour had told him we think that we are in the land of the living, going to the land of the dying, when in reality we are in the land of the dying, headed for the land of the living. Embracing the reality of the world to come radically alters everything in this world. Our values are prioritized and purified. Money, things, time, friends, enemies, family, and life itself are all adjusted and given their appropriate worth and place. If anyone should express the reality of eternity, it's those of us who have been granted safe passage to the other side through Christ, our divine passport. Yet interestingly, we who are marked with heaven in our hearts usually live as though it were real but irrelevant. We're consumed with the tyranny of the temporal, and we trade both the character and power of our life with an eternal focus for the ordinary. Well, the death of a father uh, will, will remind us and help us to focus on our priorities and what really matters in life. Lastly, number five, reflection number five is this. 
that the death of a father reminds us of the reality of the hope of heaven. If, if, if our father has put his faith in Jesus, when, I, when, it, when I, the death of a father reminds us of the reality of the hope of heaven. As I've said many times, the Bible answers the key questions of life. Where did I come from? Origins, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Why am I here? What is the purpose and meaning of life? And as the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, we're, we're here to know God and, and glorify Him. That's our, our purpose. Where am I headed? Destiny. Well, the Bible answers that question as well. I've stood by the graveside of several hundred people in my life and in ministry. For the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, there's one word that stands out that distinguishes us from others that don't know Christ, and it's the word hope. There's hope. Not wishful thinking hope, but hope that's the absolute assurance of something based on the promise of God. John 14, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would, not, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you home to be with me. Then we'll be there for all of eternity. First Thessalonians 4, Paul lays it out to the Thessalonian believers. And Paul had been talking to them about the second coming of Christ. And, and then uh, some of their loved ones had died, and they're, they're concerned, and they're asking Paul, oh, no, they're... They've died. They're going to miss the return of Christ. And Paul says, no, let me tell you how this works. And he lays out the order of things. But he begins that section of Scripture and he says, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And then he goes on to talk about the hope, to talk about the rapture and uh, that uh, Christ is going to return and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together and we'll, we'll meet him in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That is our hope. It is a living hope. Jesus said in John 11 when Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus had passed away and to Martha he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That there's an eternal hope. And uh, that's the question that Jesus asks us today. And so the, the death of a father reminds us of the reality of the hope of heaven. I have to admit that this past uh, September, um, when we had my dad's funeral service, and um, there's always, most of you have been through this with a loved one, there's always a little bit of anxiety when you're coming in and seeing your loved one in a casket for the first time. Uh, that's always a, that's always a, 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 sometimes can be a difficult, anxious moment. And so, um, you know, I had that, that day, I, I not only was going to see my dad in the casket for the first time, but I also had to be ready to preach his 
funeral service. So I had kind of a double um, task there that day. But uh, I want to tell you, I was, I was very surprised. Not that, not that I, you know, I still miss my dad, but I had such a peace. I saw him in the casket, and it's like, that's not my dad. I mean, that's my dad. But that's his outer shell. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt where my dad is. And guess what? He's right now better off than any of us. There's one song that says, man, if you, you could see me now, you'd, you'd never wish me back. And so that, that verse and truth in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And then what happens? The peace of God comes into your life and guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And, and that's, that's what I experienced at that, that moment. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the eternal rock. And so five reflections on the death of a father. Reminds us of our own mortality. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but uh, are you prepared to die? We're all going to die. You put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Secondly, are you investing your life in things that really matter? Where do you spend most of your time, talent, and treasure? Are you investing in the next generation? Children and grandchildren and the younger generation. Are you investing in the eternal, as Jesus said? Then do you realize that there's only one hope for this world? There's only one hope for the United States of America. There's only one hope for the state of Michigan and our world in which we live, and it's not in politics, it's not in money, it's not in how strong our military is, it's not in education, but our hope is in Christ. As the song goes, in Christ alone, our hope is found. Well, those are five reflections that came to my mind and heart as um, I reflected back on um, a great legacy of, a, of, of my dad. And I hope those are encouraging to you um, as we continue to live however much time God gives us for his, his glory. Let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you, for, um, thank you for the privilege to be here today. Lord, we thank you for uh, dads that are here. And Lord, I um, pray for perhaps um, a dad that might be discouraged here today for uh, any number of reasons. Lord, may you encourage his heart. May, may he realize the incredible potential of of impact on generations. May we be reminded that it's never too late to make a difference. It's never too late to turn over a new lease. And as George Sweeting 
used to say the Christian life was a series of new beginnings. Thank you for our dads. Lord, I pray your blessing upon them. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have, the hope of an eternal future with you forever and ever. And may that encourage our hearts. May we share that hope with others. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.